Hey there, thank you for listening to Watchtower Podcast. For pop culture overview, head to WTCHTWR.com and follow on all the socials at Watchtower underscore media. Our website has some really great new pieces up now, including the first part in Victoria Neuer's series, Cooking Up a Sandstorm, about social development in Saudi Arabia. Plus, we have Emily Baker's look at the winter blockbuster, Wonder Woman 1984. And this week, we debuted Hate Listening with Mihir Kole with a first episode about the Jonas Brothers. So make sure you stay tuned to The Watchtower for all the very latest. Our new series, Vintages, takes a look at the most impactful albums in music history with a soupy twist. We'll be enjoying some fine alcohol to go to some fine albums, because what better way to enjoy a masterpiece than with a nice cold one by your side? First up, released five years ago today, the 1975 sophomore album. I like it when you sleep, for you are so beautiful, yet so unaware of it. Okay, Izzy Veninga joins me all the way from the Netherlands. Hey. I can't believe it. Izzy, what have you got to drink with you today? I got two Belgian beers. I got a La Chouffe and a Leffe Blonde. And I'm starting with the La Chouffe. I'm actually more than halfway through. So I'm ready to go. <laughs> nice strong Belgian beer for a nice strong album. Meanwhile, I've got a 2019 Malbec, which is going down a store. Very fancy. Very smooth. I wish I had a steak. Okay, so I Like It When You Sleep, and I'm just going to call it that, was mm-hmm. released five years ago today on Dirty Hit Records. A bit of the context, at the time, I was only 19. Izzy, you're a couple years younger than me, so I was only 19. I was still in my first year of university, and I think that's a bit important to how we think about the album, because at the time, I was still a fresher, still finding my feet in the world, and this album... And some of the songs in it were the like the antithesis of what I wanted to be. And yet some of the songs resonated as much as I might try to resist. And I wanted to get just an idea of how you approached it when it came out. Right. So I was actually 17. So I was in my peak of my awkward slash exciting teenage years or right after the peak, I would say. So I was I was like settling in, preparing for university I was right in my art school pink hair phase. And um, oh, no. I remember I remember when Love Me came out and the video as well. And I just thought that was like the epitome of the life, I, like the crazy party life that I wanted at the time. So it was just, it was the perfect album to just go with my crazy phase, I would say. So it's really like a, a perfect representation of, of that period of my life as well, but in a very different way. <laughs> I know what you mean, because Love Me was the first single off the record following, obviously, their self-titled debut album. It's so different from the first one. It was a lot groovier, especially. And I love, like, if something has, like, a funky bass or, like, a funky guitar riff or whatever, I'm, no matter the genre or the artist, I'm going to like it. And I already loved the first album, but I remember when Love Me came out, I was like, all right, this is different. This is going to be different. And it was. You could tell... Pretty early on that it was a stayer in that people are going to see that it's more of a single. It's more ready for radio as opposed to a lot of the songs that are on the first album. 
so when you were 17 and you listened to this album, do you think that that was more of a staple of what you wanted to be and you tried to grow into that? Or was it an idea of this is what life is like at the moment? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, is this the one that has a change of heart? Yeah, this is the one that has a change yeah. of heart. I definitely think when Love Me, like Love Me was, was a good representation of how I just felt because my life was a lot like chaos and, and trying to, I don't know, figure out what you want to do with your life and just feeling like a young person and then I remember I came, I came to London for a couple of open days for art schools because I this was in the phase I wanted to go to art school and <laughs> I was walking I was walking on Blackfriars Bridge and I was listening to A Change of Heart and I just had this sense of calm wash over me and just at the same time like you said it kind of music can kind of not pressure but push you to go into the like live the life you want to live but at the same time, it gave me a sense of calm because I, for some reason, I was just convinced that that was the life I was going to get. And mm. I mean, eventually I moved to London and I, I lived right next to Blackfriars Bridge in my last year. And I remember just walking to uni over Blackfriars Bridge every morning thinking to myself, huh, I guess I was right at the time that this was going to happen. So, <laughs> so yeah, looking back now, it, it was not as much of a pressure as it could have been if it hadn't happened, I guess. Mm. But yeah. What about you? I remember when it came out because, as I said at the start of the show, I was a fresher. When I was a lot younger, so the their debut album came out when I was about 16. And I was trying so hard to not be like that. Because I'm a big, like, Foo Fighters fan. I love Nirvana and stuff. And their first album was so different to what I thought rock should be like that I said, I really don't want to like this album. <laughs> It's not really rock though as well. It's, it's... No, exactly. And yeah, what so would you when... call it even? <laughs> exactly. And it, it crosses a lot of genres. And so when I Like It When You Sleep came out as a fresher, you're trying to establish yourself again because when I started university, it was at the start of this, you know, three-year process, having spent the last seven years at the same school that's down the road from where I still live. I thought that I don't want my identity to be defined by an album that I don't want to like. Mm. Then as I've got older, I think that my perception of it has changed. And I was saying this to one of my friends who I've known since school. I used to bag on the 1975 a lot because you're like, they're not really rock music. They're trying too hard, all of that sort of thing. Yes, that's all still true, but that doesn't mean the songs aren't good. That doesn't mean the album isn't good. That doesn't mean that you're meant to reject them out of hand just because you don't like who they are. Good music is ultimately good music. And I think that's really true of this album, which is one that has won so many awards, so many accolades. It won things like, it's UK number one, obviously. It's Billboard number one. It won the Enemy Award for Album of the Year in 2016. It won the sixth best album of the decade uh, that Enemy released towards the end of the 2010s. It was the eighth best for Billboard in 2016. It has 75% on Metacritic. And I just, the one overriding thing I remember is that I tried really hard to not like this album. <laughs> because it was like, uh, it's the 1975, they're not cool, they're trying too hard, blah, blah, blah. But the more you listen to songs like, one of my special favorites is the sound. I really like the sound. I like She's American, which I played in Tesco the other day, which I told you. I just <laughs> Best to lift songs. up your grocery, your grocery shopping. <laughs> straight vibes, yeah. Crying while I put some like 
properly into my trolley. <laughs> Honestly, they're just good songs. And I don't want to complain about these being good songs. I just want to enjoy them for what they are. Yes, it might be too long. Yeah, there might be too many tracks, but I just so think what? it's a good album. Yeah. Rather too many tracks than too little, honestly. Exactly. Do you feel, this was like a, a question I was saving for later, but because you, you mentioned the um, not wanting to like it because they weren't cool in your eyes. Do you feel they were a boy band? Were they considered a boy band? No, to me, they could be grouped in the kind of the bands that tried too hard. I think that's a big perception that you get of Matty Healy, especially that they're trying really hard to be something else that they aren't and mm -hmm. trying too hard to be you know, indie and cool and anti-establishment. And yeah, exactly. Edgy. Yeah. I the completely back understand. Hair and the hair and the, the cigarettes and the, exactly. you know, the, the drugs and, and, and all that. <laughs> like, like Arctic Monkeys AM phase type of thing. Although Here's that's like thing. a whole other thing. I fucking love AM. <laughs> just... Exactly. Here's the thing. That's one of my favorite albums ever. <laughs> that's exactly what my point is, is there's that dichotomy between thinking this band is trying too hard and you think you know what you're getting, plus... This is exactly it's, it's working. the kind of aesthetic that you're yeah, going for. Yeah, it's working. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to like it because they're, do they're doing it and you're annoyed that they're doing it, but it's also working. So it's just... Exactly. You're annoyed that they're doing it. <laughs> would you, you do like... it if you were if you were Maddie Healy? Would you do it? Yes, of course. I want to like wear leather jackets and look like I haven't slept in four days and look like I've eaten 400 calories in a fortnight. <laughs> I definitely I want to be like that. When I saw pressure. when I saw them live, that was actually during during when this album came out. He was um, so so actually the context was I was there when I was seventeen, and there were a bunch of thirteen year olds around me pissing themselves because Maddie Healy was on stage, and I got so like overly annoyed at these people around me. I just as if I was like at a kindergarten convention or whatever and he, but he was wearing these glittery platform heels and drinking red wine on stage and a part of me was like this is such a vibe and the people around me are for me they're ruining it but I get it I, I get the appeal as well if I was 13 I would be pissing my pants too if I saw a guy do that on stage so it's just it's working it is working and I mean at some age at a certain point you kind of get over the whole act around it you know you, mm. you can still appreciate it but you don't go as crazy hormonal about it as 13 or 14 year olds would but you can still you can res you have to respect it at the end of the day that's a point I think is really important in terms of as you say you were 17 i was 19 if you're trying really hard to not embrace that kind of aesthetic in your life then the perception of this album changes whereas if you're as you say 13 maybe 15 17 receiving and interpreting this album it has a huge impact and basically everything at that kind of age affects your perception of how different media is consumed especially an album like this where it's meant to be real you know yeah i think the charm with i like it when you sleep as well is that i definitely think this is their most accessible album as well so in a way it's it's so timeless because even as you said a lot of these songs shaped a very particular point in my life i mean that that's like a personal thing but even now i, I can come back to this album and just listen to it and have a whole different um, relationship with the songs on it. So it, it just has like a, a timelessness to it in that you can always come back to it, relate to it in a new way or feel it in a new way. 
and that just keeps it I don't know it keeps it new whereas with the first album I mean I love the first album 100% like no bad word about the first album but whenever I, I go back to the first album I go back to that phase when I first discovered it and like the feeling I had when I first discovered it so I don't really have a personal relationship to it anymore it's like a memory from the past you're cherishing you know but for this album I like it when you see it can still be very relevant when you go back to it so that's that's such a charm I know what you mean and I think that that's true especially of the a lot of the singles on this album so some of the key songs from I like it when you sleep include as Izzy said love me somebody else it's a really good song (laughs) <laughs> um a change don't of even heart. get me started on somebody else wait <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, look we'll get into it a change of heart she's american which is one of my personal favorites and in my opinion the big lead single the sound which mm. was the highest charting single at number 15 in the uk charts until the more recent if you're too shy the video too was a really impactful It was an impactful moment in that you're like, yes, I know that they are aware of the criticism. I understand that they know what people are saying about them. But you never see that where people... They did that with girls as well, with the girls video. Yeah, exactly. You so rarely see it where people put the criticism of themselves out in front for everyone to see off the big lead pop single that's going to be all over the charts. Yeah. And I think that's just, you know, can you imagine being the, the label manager at the time who's like, okay, fine. So we want a video where you guys are being shouted out by all of your critics. For three minutes, they just show things like overrated, pretentious, everything that people criticize your band about. That's what we're going to say. That's crazy to me. (laughs) I mean, if you've already done Love Me's video... You can pretty much pull off anything after that. Like that was that was a wild ride from start to finish. So I think at that point, I think I think at that point they were like, "Fuck it, couldn't make it any worse than it already is." <laughs> okay, so let's get into a bit of the details about the album. So the title: when you go from self-titling your album to one that's that has one, two, three, four, five. Too many words. Too many words. If you can't say it in a single sentence without taking a breath, then that's maybe too many words. So when you go to an album that's called I Like It When You Sleep For You Are So Beautiful Yet So Unaware Of It. If it's called I Like It When You Sleep, then maybe it's a bit weird, but you know, you can kind of <laughs> give or take it. Yeah, you that's can really, really interpret wild. that the wrong way. <laughs> it's it's, so a, is, it's is... a real mouthful of a title. Yeah, this is like the least creepy way to make the point that they wanted to make with the title. It's such a pretentious title. You would think that they would go a different way with the following album, A Brief Inquiry, into online relationships. Except they don't. They double down. I was I was going to say, do you think they, they started with a super long sentence and then for every album they'll they'll go a bit shorter? So notes on a conditional form is like a little, little shorter. Do you think the next one is going to be like another two words album or something like that? I just want it to be something that I can say in one breath. Do you think they just did it to take the piss? To just... Of course they did. That's just, yeah. <laughs> how, that's just Matt Healy's MO. So but be super existential about it. well that's the thing so Matty Healy told Rolling Stone once that the record's title was and I quote something that I said to a girlfriend of mine at the time like all situations I'm sure it wasn't quite as poetic as it sounds Mm. yeah I mean that's that's not the the song in this album but um which one is it like um maybe I forgot the name but the new one one, yeah I like um if you're too shy 
yeah, if you're too shy, oh, it's such a banger. But I was listening to the lyrics, I was making up the craziest scenarios. And then I looked up what the meaning was behind the song. And it's literally just about a long distance relationship and getting naked when you see each other on FaceTime. I'm like, wow, that's that's not that deep. That, that's like a very <laughs> common thing. Like, <laughs> And I was listening to the lyrics. I was like, wow, is this like a comment on um, society's way that like the social media, you only look at the surface of someone and, and mm. you don't think about, you know. But it, it turned out it was just about a long distance relationship. So with him, you never that. know. You never know what's behind it. It could be super deep and philosophical or it could literally just be about coke or, or long distance relationship. <laughs> so. I think this album is a perfect example of a bridge between being afraid of that and embracing that. Because as I said earlier, I think this is their most accessible album um, from what they have so far. And I think A Brief Inquiry, I mean, that one has Love It If We Made It and um, I Like America, It's Not Living If It's Not With You. Like those songs are so much more, so much heavier in terms of the like the societal criticism, the, the philosophical topics they touch upon, which is, I think, the most melodramatic you can get in this context. So I think this album is in a way like the, the nuanced version of that because it, it's still poppy enough and, and accessible enough to enjoy the surface of it all. And it kind of just allows you to interpret it the way you want to interpret it. So I, I definitely think for indie music, I mean, indie pop, I would say, is the genre I listen to the most because I love doing super melodramatic existential thinking by myself. But I also just love vibing when I'm on my bike because, you know, I'm Dutch and, and just having a good time. <laughs> so and, and indie pop kind of allows me to choose I can listen to a song, I can choose, am I gonna, today, am I gonna listen to this the existential way or the fun way? So I think this album is the perfect example for that. So I think, yeah, definitely. It's a good bridge. I wanted to ask you as well, because I remember when A Brief Inquiry into Online Relationships came out. I remember where you were when that came out, because we were both in the King's media office. And I remember talking to you about it. And I said, I God. Yeah, exactly. I, I remember that day. I don't exactly know when that day was. It was a day after that album came out. You told me about, about it. it. Yeah, and I flipped my shit because you told me and I didn't know it came out. And I was like, all right, I gotta cancel everything. <laughs> I need a moment. That's but so true. That's the thing. It's like that album is one of those that needs a rewind. It needs, you know, a listen or two to completely understand it. Mm. I was wondering what you thought about this album. Well, I think they've evolved a lot. So notes on the conditional form is a lot more abstract and more, even more existential. So I think if it came out now, I wouldn't say it's a step back, but it would feel like a more simplified version of what they're doing right now. But I think it definitely set the tone for the indie music that comes out nowadays. So in that sense, I think it's it was an important milestone in indie pop. If you want to call it indie pop, because we, we were talking about this earlier, I don't really know what genre to classify them under. So I don't know if you, if you have any thoughts on this, because I've been throwing around the word indie pop for the last couple of minutes but i don't know if you would agree with me on that also is no. it okay if i like, pop my other beer like is it please do that's the whole point of vintages <laughs> please do um yeah cheers cheers um no i i know exactly what you mean in terms of for me this is indie pop at its finest polished songs like the sound songs like love me songs like she's american which is still one of my favorite songs off their entire discography mm. i think that 
it's important for them to not pretend that they're not trying to be this kind of band. Because I've seen them live before a couple of times, and I've seen other bands where they're trying to be things that they aren't. The worst thing that a band could do is trying to pretend that, you know, they're not trying so hard with some of the songs that they make. At least with the 1975, when they turn this corner from this all black, like pop punk pop thing aesthetic, I can understand that. But if you're going to pivot to a complete right turn and, and embrace it. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're going to try and erase up that whole sort of thing, you might as well commit to it. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think they really achieve with this album. Yes, they understand that that's where their roots are, but at the same time, they've realized that their strengths lie in things like the sound and songs like She's American. More poppy beats. Exactly. And I was wondering what you thought of their move towards more poppy beats. Songs like Somebody Else. God, Somebody Else is something else. Um, I don't know. I, I I have like a weird relationship with pop music because the the straight top 40 stuff, I can appreciate it, but I, I don't, I wouldn't really listen to it by myself. But I love songs that are very accessible. As I said earlier, I, for me, the most important thing is just a vibe. So, so when they move to the poppy stuff, I mean, the first album was like perfect for my angsty teenage years. But the second one was, yeah, it, it just gives you like a lighter feel to it. So yeah, I really, I really appreciated it. I, I was here for it. I remember actually when it came out, because I mean, you had like, oh gosh, exposing myself here. You had the, the Tumblr community and stuff, and <laughs> you know, like the, like the, you know, like the, the Arctic Monkeys. Like, what was it? The, I love the, the Arctic Monkeys. That's okay. Yeah, I know, I know, but like you had like those those Tumblr profiles where they would glorify Effie Stoneham and and make those edits with with Arctic Monkeys album covers and uh, you know like the, the deep quotes in Ariel where you're just looking back now and and I don't know. Um, Listeners, if you need to learn more about <laughs> Izzy, just what? try and look up her old Tumblr profiles. And <laughs> you'll be okay. You're never going to find it. <laughs> You're never going to find it. I will find it. And <laughs> you will it. not find it. <laughs> hey, don't give me a challenge. <laughs> I mean it. Oh, my God. But yeah, anyways, uh, I remember there was a lot of criticism on this album because everyone was so used to their edgy first one that would just fit in perfectly with the black and white aesthetic. We were going to talk about the color pink, weren't we? That, that's just the way to describe that. I, I love that, actually. Oh, yeah, for I was going to For ask. me, that was, a, that was a big step, because you were talking about embracing it. For me, I mean, they did it themselves as a band, but it was also a thing that you had to go through as a listener, because you had to decide for yourself, do I agree with this? Do I vibe with this? Do I want to um, associate them with this new image that they've created? And exactly. if you don't, yeah, if you don't like it, if, if you're not into it, then I get the criticism. But if you are, it, it, it was still because there was criticism towards it and because they were so established as like the alt epitome of alt music, um, you, you kind of had to like go through this, this, this process of acceptance. But once you went through it, it was, it was like a, a big disco party was in, inviting you in and, and Maddie Healy was there with, with blue eyeliner and, and glittery boots and, and giving you a glass of wine and be like, cheers, you know? So. How old were you when you, when their debut album came out? What, 14? Um, I was 14, but I think I discovered it when I was 15 or 16. So 
Exactly. And so yeah. when I Like It When You Sleep came out, would you have said that the album, the difference between album two and album one, would you have said that the evolution of their music encapsulated how you felt? Towards them or just life in general? <laughs> life. Um, for sure. As I said earlier, um, the first album was perfect for my teenage angsty years. Um, but the second one, um, I Like It When You Sleep, that was during my art school pink hair uh, uh, vibes. And <laughs> I don't know, it was, that was like a, a, when you're 17, I don't know if this is like a universal thing, but I feel like it is. Because my theory is 13, 14 is just the worst for everyone, for everyone out there, that's like the worst age you can go through. Like hormonally <laughs> speaking, you're insecure about yourself. You think you're grown up, but looking back now, you weren't <laughs> grown up for shit. But when you're 16, 17, it's just, you've, you've kind of gone over that peak and it's the first time that you've, you've, you're on speaking terms again with your parents. Like, you, you start, <laughs> I'm making this so dramatic. And you, you can go to, you, yeah, you start looking forward to university and the sky feels like the limit. Not for everyone, of course, but for most people, the, the sky feels like the limit. You, you, you start thinking about your future, about what you want from life. And it, it's like such a hopeful phase. And also, I mean, let's be real here. Everyone started drinking. At least at that point, everyone was already drinking. So it, it, they... talk for yourself. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how things go down in the Netherlands. But... Well... <laughs> Don't don't pretend like you're the most innocent person on earth. <laughs> hmm? But yeah, um, so it it, it just yeah. Cheers to that. So it's just it's just like the the whole encapsulation of the hopeful the last hopeful years of high school or secondary school if you want to keep it British. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean. It the thing with this album is that it encapsulate the mood that you are when you're that age when you're still trying to progress and trying to get yourself to progress between those emotional states of yes i'm a teenager and yes i want to understand the world in a certain way and this is what i want the world to be like this album what is crucial to our interpretation of the album is that these songs understand that it's okay to not be clear about what you think about these albums, of these songs, or even about this period of your life, because it's a really difficult period. And they, they've really kept that phase, that, that phase, that theme going for, for a long time as well, because um, Give Yourself a Try, I feel like, is, is the epitome yeah. of, of that yeah, life question, really, that, that existential, I don't know, thing that you're going through as in what the fuck am I doing? And why does everyone else know what they're doing? Because I have no idea. And then he just makes this whole song where he just, he's just like, guys, no one knows. <laughs> it's all cool. You know? No, it's do you so think, true. Do you, think, do you think they kept that in mind when they were writing the album? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of personal things involved um, about Medi Healy's life and his, his, his drug addictions and stuff. But do you think they, they kept in mind that everyone is dealing with all these these external pressures and and new expectations that society puts on us because of the, the the new generations because i think they definitely embody that in later albums but do you think they they already started doing that with this one or was it just coincidence i don't know about coincidence but i would 
as my kind of armchair psychologist would say, I you would think that it develops more in terms of you can tell that there's more of a personal vibe in that the songs are more about him as a person dealing with the difficulties in his life as opposed to him trying to pretend that they're not happening because he's a pop star, because he's a rock star. Yeah. It's an interesting question to pose because you live the same experiences that he does at the same time that he does. What he presents are things that happen to him, whereas if he was a novelist or if he was a documentary maker, for example, he could hide away and take, you know, three or four years out and not have to do these things in front of the camera. What's interesting about Matty Healy is that he's chosen to bear all of these things out on his sleeve and say, look, I want to be able to show people that A, this is okay, and B, this is what people go through and not be afraid that people are going to have interpretations of that. And how, how do you think that affects you as a listener? Because I feel like music and art are very similar in, in that aspect that everyone has the freedom to interpret it in their own way and to relate to it in their own way almost as some I don't want to say therapy but as some like catharsis you know if you're gonna take songs and make them so um if you're gonna make songs and, and make them so personal do you think that makes it harder to relate to it it's like I don't know if you listen to Glass Animals but it, it's what they did as well because with their newest album Dreamland it's, it's a lot more introspective so do you think it works better to make introspective songs or or more societally related music to me it depends on how acceptable the themes are to the person who's listening to it so in terms of matty healy in terms of glass animals if you're able to portray the themes that are in your songs to a wide enough audience so that they can understand what you're going through i can appreciate that and i can interpret that without having to ask questions through the music I agree. And I also think that um, even if something is very personal or introspective, you can still gain something from it or get like an emotional reaction to it. I mean, this is sorry, this is not 1975, but the, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, Space Goes to Coast um, from yes. the, Dreamland, the Dreamland album. And I was listening to it. This is probably one of my favorite songs from that album. And I was looking up the, the meaning behind it because I was vibing so hard, but I, I thought at the same time, this must be about some breakup or something, or just, I don't know, having this resentful feeling towards someone that you don't want to feel resentful towards, but it just happened to go in that direction. And now you're embracing it, that kind of feeling I got from it. And that's something everyone can relate to. And then I read it was about a fucking high school, no, like childhood friend that the, that, that what was his name? Dave, oh, what was his, the guy's name? That the, the, the author, this, the singer had, and the childhood friend got arrested because he was trying to plan a school shooting. And I'm like, this is like the least oh common. Lord. Yeah, it was wild. Like he, he got arrested and they found like a gun in his house and, and, um, Oh, I forgot his name. Dave Bailey? No, no, that's that's another that's another guy. Fucking hell! Oh, this, this is, is so telling bad you because... all you need to know about this freaking vintage series. Oh my god! Uh, this is honestly Dave Animal Bailey. Oh, I was right. Oh, thank God! <laughs> I thought I was. I thought I was just like mentioning this whole different artist, and everyone's like, "You're such a <laughs> fan." <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, no, and I don't know, it was so genius because you would never expect this to happen. And it's like the least relatable thing you can think of when you write a song, but the way he phrased it, and it was just him listing all of these old childhood memories they had. So he was like talking about Pokemon and like juice boxes and, and just stuff like that. And it, it sounded so cute, but then you find out it's about this and it's just, yeah, anyway, sorry. Getting off track here. <laughs> Just needed to work in You're class good. animals. In way. No, so I wanted to ask you, Izzy, as a certified 1975 expert, ah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you just a couple of quick questions in terms of most memorable song from this album least memorable song oh 100 percent, somebody else 100%. really not yeah. the sound no because i mean somebody oh. else, i'm sorry but it, it has a it has very particular memory related to that song for me because i was in my first year of uni you know my friend reb <laughs> you know her shout out to reb shout out to reb um she loves she'll, be, she'll be so jealous driver. She'll be so jealous when she finds out I did a whole episode with you about the 1975. <laughs> you should but yeah, have. Anyway, I should have asked. We're all on Zoom anyway. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, this was my first year of uni, and um, a guy from my from my floor that was not a friend of ours yet, but was to become a friend of ours. Um, he landed in the hospital for no reason. Like we still don't know why, but he just like he blacked out in our hallway and we weren't even drunk. We we were just having like a chill night with a couple of beers, but like nothing crazy. And he had to go to a hospital and we went with this whole group of people to like support him. And we stayed there for the entire night. And it was just such a surreal experience because everyone was stressed out, but we were also like, we don't know this guy, but he's gonna have to be your friend after this. And then eventually he got like, they didn't know what happened to him. So we just brought him back home and we were walking up the hill because we, we lived on a hill, Champion Hill. <laughs> um, and she just started shouting somebody else and we were shouting it at the top of her lungs at 6 a.m. in the morning. It was such a magical moment because it, it was like, like the weirdest peak of university life you can think of. And then we got home and we made pasta. Like it was ridiculous. It was 6 a.m. in the morning. We were like, let's have breakfast, but we only have pasta. And once again, we were singing the song. So that's definitely right up there for sure. My disclaimer is that I didn't know Izzy until I was in my maybe master's. Your master's, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You were in your second year, I think. So yes. I didn't know scumbag Izzy that would, you know. Wake up the pasta. neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wake up the neighborhood, cook pasta at fucking 5 a.m. 6 a.m. 6 a.m. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, excuse me. Oh, yeah. yeah. My fault that I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah, somebody else became the theme song of our of our freshers' year. So it 100 percent most memorable. It's such a sad song though. I don't I don't know why we picked that song. I, I mean we could have blasted the sound and it would have been a lot like a happy, a happy way to end up a weird night, you know? But we were like, no, let's let's talk about being resentful towards your ex or like <laughs> I don't know. Just, <laughs> this is the this is the melodrama of it all, isn't it? Exactly. My we melodrama right it. now. Are you are you shaming me for wanting to be melodramatic about cooking my pasta? What is this slander yes. out of nowhere? Yes. I just well I can't explain it. Well look I don't know. That's been I'm gonna be, in a nutshell. I'm gonna be too tired to listen to such an upbeat song anyway. It's gonna be six AM. Five AM. 
Look, I, I don't... Why I, did, I, where did you get the 5 a.m. from? I never said this. Oh, excuse me, 6 a.m. We, yeah. we were still in the hospital at 5 a.m. in the morning. The sun was already coming up. But yeah, anyway, what is your most memorable song? To me, it's the sound. It has to be. Because the essence of the song is encaptured in Propaganda Night at Electric Ballroom slash Thing Walls, which has since like closed. <laughs> you what? cannot what? give me shit. You cannot give me shit for listening. Okay. It's the best indie night we have in this country. Right. Oh wait, I thought you were talking about um, what was it like? Ministry of Sound. <laughs> I kind of mixed them up I for a second. Ministry there. of Sound. Ministry <laughs> of Sound's good. I mean, I've been only once, and it was during Freshers, and I was there, and I was thinking to myself. This is the best kind of trashy that going out can get. No, actually, the egg is worse. <laughs> okay, egg, yeah, egg, egg is, is a worse. lot worse. Shout out to egg, because... Oh, God, I miss going hell. out. I miss going out so much. Yeah, honestly, but... Piccadilly Institute was was where it's at, though. Oh, my God. That was where it's at. You'd be ashamed. Why am I even on this... <laughs> I fucking love fucking it. Podcast, it's honestly. so central as well. And it just, oh, it was oh, great. It's central. There's nothing to fucking do. <laughs> That's how the Strand was founded, though. What, the Strand magazine? Yeah, the Strand magazine was founded. I feel, I I feel sick even listening <laughs> to that. It's a good thing you didn't know this when we were sharing an office together. <laughs> yeah, anyway. To me, the quintessential song of this album is the sound and is there a story there or is it just because of the no song? but to me it's it's the most poppy it's the most easily listenable it's only four minutes out of freaking 74 minute album <laughs> that's a bit extreme one nineteenth of an album it's so true it's a great running song as well true yeah it's got a good beat to me the sound is the peak of it to me, the sound is the peak of 1975. Wow, that's a very, very radical claim to make there. It's a big call. It's a big call know. to be making on Vintage's episode one. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. I just pulled up my Spotify, and um, according to the listeners, people agree with me that somebody else is, is the peak. They're wrong. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know if it was peak 1975, but it's definitely um, most well-known, I, I think. Stop hating. Stop hating on somebody else. I'm not, I'm not hating. I like that song. I'm just saying. What is it? What is it about the song that makes you think that it's not? I just like the sound more. I like the groove. I like the idea that it's not mopey music. And I, I like that you picked this one out of all of the 1975 albums because I think that people overlook it too much. Because exactly. I mean, the first one is is iconic for sure. And a brief inquiry and notes in a conditional form. They're as I said earlier, they're a lot more philosophical, existential, like tackling the big, the big issues. But this one is is like the perfect bridge in between, and it's it's a bit lighter in that way. So it it is actually I I would say it's my favorite 1975 album. It also has the most songs on it that I regularly listen to. So yes, I mean the 97 yeah. the 1975 can have songs that you enjoy, and they can have songs that you appreciate but songs that you enjoy you would listen to more often and this is the album with most of the songs i enjoy so in that way yes on that note we're going to finish vintage's episode one izzy thank you for joining me 
It's Thank been you a for total having pleasure. Me. I feel like I've shared too much about my personal life, but that's all right. That's okay. That's what vintage is all for. <laughs>